Well, our guest today is praised as the punk rock Julia Child of the Net Generation. TV chef and comedian Nadia G joins us on this episode of Film Courage, infusing rock and roll, amazing culinary skills, and really cool outfits. Nadia G's Bitchin Kitchen debuted in 2007 as a three-minute mobile cooking show. With smashing success, the show quickly gained the attention of mainstream broadcast media, giving way to the 2010 Bitchin' Kitchen premiere on food and lifestyle entertainment brand to transition from web wow. to television. Very cool. In October 2010, Bitchin' Kitchen made its American debut on the Cooking Channel. In addition, Nadia's best-selling book, Bitchin' Kitchen Cookbook, Rock Your Kitchen and Let the Boys Clean Up the Mess was released in 2009. I and like that. I, and I know you love that little tagline <laughs> there. I know what I was making you do. Huh. Uh, some of the chapters include One Night Stand Breakfast, okay. um, PMS Capades, wow. and Broke Ass Dishes. <laughs> Nadia's Bitchin' Kitchen has not only infused the Food Network and Cooking Channel with a bad girl brand of humor and know-how, but the whole Bitchin' DIY approach is introduced to viewers on Nadia's site, bitchinlifestyle.tv where you'll find cool kitchen gear, um, t-shirts, videos, and uh, bitchin culture. Please welcome to Film Courage via telephone, the lovely Nadia G. Hello, Nadia. Oh, we amazing. love it. You know, we're, we're excited ourselves, and Lord, we just we just want to sort of, you know, relay that to our audience listening yep. in today. We've been looking for it. <laughs> thank you. Cool. Happy to be here. Again, thank you, Nadia, for joining us today. We've been looking forward to this interview for a very long time, so very excited. Now, I understand you grew up, is it St. Leonard? It's a conservative borough of uh, Montreal, Quebec? Yeah, that's right. It's an Italian borough. It's, uh, you know, I mean, it's what's really interesting is that when we launched the show um, in the States, a lot of people were like, what's that accent? Is it Brooklyn? Is it New Jersey? And we're like, no, it's actually St. Leonard. And, and what's interesting about this, there's a lot of second-generation Italians in St. Leonard, you know, parents fresh off the boats, <laughs> the kids are born, so a lot of us speak Italian, anch'io parlo italiano, ancora adesso, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, so, you know, there's, there's a really interesting and peculiar accent in St. Leonard, and, and in fact, it, it even goes beyond the accent, and, and it's almost like its own freaking language, um, and in the back of, of my cookbook, you'll find, you know, a a glossary of terms, if you will, uh, for all the kind of stuff that, that, that we say. Also, we have web clips called Word of the Day, which help, uh, which help people figure out what the, the, the hell I'm talking about with words like discombobulated or me or... Anyways, uh, it's, it's interesting stuff. That's really cool. Yeah, and I know you have t-shirts too. I, growing up in a town that's conservative, for myself, I grew up in something like that as well. And I was into punk rock and rock and roll. And you get treated a little differently, especially if you're a girl. Was this the case for you? Oh man, you better believe it. It was, uh, it was it was crazy, you know. And not to mention, you know, back back in the day, the high school I went to was Catholic. Now they've uh. kind of separated church and state when it comes to education. But you know, it it was definitely a conservative mentality. And you know, I realized at a very young age um, that you know uh, it, it, it wasn't for me the the white picket fence and suburban you know kind of polite lifestyle. I, I 
I had my own vision of who I wanted to be and where I wanted to go, and it certainly wasn't accepted in St. Leonard. And like you said, especially um, being a girl, right. uh, you know, people didn't like it. You know, and I mean, I shaved my. I was. It was. It was quite crazy. You know, shaved head, a bunch of tattoos. You don't see that in St. Leonard. You know, uh-huh. <laughs> no, certainly not in the in the early '90s, and still to this day, uh, quite frankly, you know. Yeah, I think it scares people. They kind of they don't know where to categorize you. It, it freaks people out a little bit. Now there are millions of people who dream of making it in entertainment, and you know there's so few who do. It's it's a tough thing. So first off, where does your work ethic come from, and what do you think separates you from the many who have come short on their dreams? Oh wow, you know that that's a really great question, and um, I would have to say, you know, when I was a teenager, I kind of. You know, it, it all ties in together. I kind of rebelled against the mainstream. Um, but while doing that, I had to say to myself, well, what's worth living for? Like, what excites me? Um, and, and that's where entertainment came in. And, and what was so wonderful about, you know, the whatever, the, the late 90s, early 2000s, was that the Internet was around. So, you know, if you have a dream, you can really materialize it online. You don't have to wait uh, for someone to green light your project and it kind of gives you that instant satisfaction of putting up a site you know you see people are watching your videos you get some kind of comment response um, so even though you're you're not making it in the big time you still feel like you're moving ahead and people are seeing um, you know your, your your project and responding to it now in terms of work ethic I mean I guess I'm just a workhorse you know uh, and and like they say they say you know when you love what you do it doesn't feel like work now sometimes <laughs> but sometimes it really does feel like work and there is a lot of hard work involved i gotta say that um you know we launched our show on cooking channel uh last uh, last fall and um i mean prior to that i mean i've been doing you know uh videos online and and working on on entertainment projects since 2001 so you know calculate that paycheck the right. <laughs> it's basically no money and investing all your time and all your energy for you know almost 10 years we are on the line with host of bitchin kitchen nadia g um, and we'd like to talk a little bit more about your beginnings, Nadia. Uh, but before we do, um, we'd like to talk about your life right now. You mentioned the cooking channel. Can you sort of paint a picture for us? How many people do you have on your team right now that, that help you produce Bitchin' Kitchen? Um, you know, what, what is your kitchen studio like in your office space? Can, can you just sort of paint the picture for us? Sure, sure, and I'll just give you a, give you a comparative. So when we first started this project, it, it was me and my partner uh, <laughs> sitting across from each other uh, on on one desk, uh, working about twelve to fifteen hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I would say uh, we have a dedicated web team. We have an office with our web team, uh, which has about five employees. Um, and then we have our production team. When we when we produce the TV show, I would say that we're about 20 uh, when it's time to shoot the TV series. And um, and then there's there's myself who works from my home office, you know, writing the scripts uh, and kind of uh, overseeing the social media strategy um, and and all those good things, designing merch. So I would say, you know, our team, our core team, is about you know under 10 people and when it's time to go into production you're looking at about you know 20 plus 
Okay. And, and, and how has this sort of the studio, you know, your, your kitchen and your office space, how has that changed? Oh, man, I'll give you another comparative on that one. Basically, when we first started uh, Bitchin' Kitchen as a web series, I had a, uh, a dressing room made of cardboard, and uh, my crew was, uh, was so nice to me that they even took the time to draw a crappy star on a loose leaf and write Natty a G on it <laughs> and tack that to the uh, cardboard dressing room. Um, and now, I mean, we have, you know, we have our own studio. We built our own studio. Uh, so it's about 2,000 square feet, um, you know, really wild kitchen design, gorgeous, you know, uh, retro-looking fridge and stove, bright cherry red with chrome, um, you know, a custom countertop. Uh, but the thing is, you know, is that w I have a lot of crafty people um, on my crew, and, and together we have a lot of vision, uh, and we kind of put it down on paper and make it happen. You know, not everything has to cost a million dollars. Uh, if you're willing to get your hands dirty, you can make things look pretty damn fine on a limited budget. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go back to early 2000 or 2001. Now, you did these web videos. Um, first off, there's really none of them circulating out there. I, I haven't found any. Are they still online? Well, I'll tell you, one of the videos that we redid um, is I used to do a lot of comedy songs. So I did this song called I'm Never Drinking Like That Again. And uh, it, it was such an awesome experience to be able to take that song and redo it for the TV show. It appears actually in uh, Rehab Recipes. The whole last act is, uh, is devoted to a music video, which, oh, cool. is, which is super cool. Definitely the first music video to ever air on a cooking show, I'd say. Okay, very cool. <laughs> love, love that idea, rehab recipes. <laughs> so, yeah. so tell us about these videos. I mean, did you have sort of this specific purpose of using the internet to eventually get yourself on TV, or it was just a fun thing you were doing with friends, you wanted to be creative? No, there was always the purpose uh, for it to be multi-platform and, uh, and, and get on TV. Uh, you know, I think I think that's important. And one of the things that I did back then, and that I, that we still did with Bitch and Kitchen, is that when we created um, uh, webisodes, you kind of you gotta you gotta think of them in terms of television production value. Again, on a budget, and figure out how to do that. But um, you know, some people kind of believe that, you know, or at least a few years ago, now it's a little different, that, you know, web entertainment can be crappier or the edits can be less tight. The fact of the matter is, is that if you're aiming for TV, you got to shoot stuff that looks TV worthy. The, the fact is, people don't have much imagination, um, you know, especially when you're pitching a project, they don't have time, imagination, patience. So you got to be able to show them um, a, a product that's television worthy so they can visualize the transition. Once you had the idea for Bitchin' Kitchen, wh when did you know that this, this could really be something special? Like how, how soon before you, before you realize? Well, you know, one thing that, that, that clued me in right away, like when I tell people the title, it's kind of like, you know, title or elevator pitch. Everyone was really, really excited, um, you know, I myself have a lot of friends in in the biz here in Montreal, so we were passing around the pitch document and just saw, you know, people's faces light up and say, wow, you know, because at the end of the day, the, the cooking space is one that uh, was generally vanilla, 
um, and uh, there really is a, a real hunger, pardon the cheesy pun, yeah. for something a little bit more rock and roll. Like, it's not everybody that wants to cook in the cardigan. And for me, it was also just a really, you know, I think people really enjoyed the high concept of it, too. Like, what's interesting is, is this show is truly a hybrid. It's a scripted comedy cooking show. Um, and there, there's, you know, Alton Brown, he, he kind of does his thing, which was very inspiring for me. That was one of the people that inspired mm -hmm. me for sure. I said, wow, you know, this guy's doing something different yeah. with, uh, with the cooking platform. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, people had a great reaction uh, straight straight away it makes me wonder especially because you do bring up you know sort of the production value you know um you know you you mentioned you don't have to spend a million dollars but at the same time there is money that needs to be invested so how long before you had the idea that you sort of went out um I either invested yourself or or found investors for for sort of the this 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 rock and roll kitchen that you're talking about because you know the early videos that we see that you have online I mean, this this is sort of you know it's, it's an imaginative um, you know high quality production. This yeah. isn't like this isn't like you just showing up and, and filming like in your grandmother's On kitchen. TV, yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, you know, um, it basically like all the experience that I had gained throughout the years in terms of doing web video was then applied to this project. Um, and then when we passed the pitch document around for this project, Airborne Entertainment, um, which which uh, does mobile content uh, and has a connection with Verizon Vcast, totally loved it. And we actually got an initial budget, I would say of about $30,000 Canadian, um, to produce 26 uh, Mobisodes. And you know, what I did, what I did, and I still do to this day, is, like I reinvest all that money, you know, like the Mobus, they gave us $30,000. We ended up spending the equivalent of like 67, double the amount, whether it was not necessarily physical cash, but also time investment. So it's like that old thing, you know, uh, uh, quick, cheap and good, you know, pick two. So if you don't, if you don't have the money, you're going to have to invest the time. You have these webisodes, and then how does it end up in the lap of the Cooking Channel? Was there a contest, or how did this happen? No, uh, we pitched, you know. Okay. We, we pitched Food Network Canada first, and they saw that it was a great success online. We had a tangible proof of concept, and, uh, and they went for it, you know. And it was tough, man, let me tell you, because back in, in, in 2007, uh, you know, while, you know, we had our webisodes uh, and webisodes, but we were simultaneously, you know, trying to pitch networks, we went down to L.A., and uh, agents down there loved the show, but they were like, listen, man, this, this, you know, you can't put this show on Food Network because it's, it's way too crazy and there's comedy in it. Uh, you can't put this show on a comedy uh, network because there's food in it. And they were like, basically, you guys are screwed. Like, you have a reality show concept for us? Wow. And we were like, reality show? We were like, man, what, what reality show? The reality is I sit in front of my computer 15 hours a day trying to get this business off the ground. doesn't make for exactly, uh, you know, a groundbreaking television here. So um, we stuck to our guns, though, you know? And, and, like, that was a real, real hard moment for us because they were like, this show is impossible to sell. And, uh, you know, but we, we stuck to it. And, uh, and eventually the times caught up with us.
you're going to, to the mobile market. I mean, was that something you were excited about or, or like was there something inside of you where you're like, you know what, this, this is, I am moving forward, but at the same time, I really want to be on television. I mean, did, oh, that, did, that, did that fuel you at all? Of course, of course. But, you know, back then also I was so happy that someone, you know, sometimes it's not the amount of the paycheck, but it's just like finally getting someone to give you a budget. You know, it, it mm -hmm. gives you that, you know, it gives you that feeling that you're on the on the right track um, and definitely heading in the right direction. So although, you know, I, I obviously did feel like, wow, I can't wait for this to be the TV show, um, I still was was pretty stoked that that someone other than myself uh, was willing to invest uh, time and money in this project and, and I knew that this was going to be a big stepping stone and one thing that's always interested me besides the production aspect and the cre creative aspect is marketing and man I know how to make a mountain out of a molehill. This is one of the biggest skills you need in this business. You know, sometimes it's less about the quality of your product and more about how you talk about it. Look, we all know the kind of content that we see on TV or the people that have risen to celebrity. You know, it's, it's a marketing machine. It's not always necessarily 100% about the, the content itself. So I knew that by having, you know, Mobisodes out there, I could have not only a proof of concept, but something to talk about. And we would enter all kinds of contests and competitions. I mean, we won, um, we won uh, favorite, mo uh, favorite mobile comedy series. And, you know, this wasn't a huge award. It was a wave award. But, man, did we make noise about that. You know, we beat out Conan O'Brien. We were touting that left, right, and center. I mean, Conan probably didn't even know he was nominated for a wave award. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, it's all about, it's all about, you know, just, just getting those awards and, and, you know, just kind of using whatever you have um, to your advantage at the moment, you know? It, it sounds like you didn't rest on the fact that, you know, that you had these, these mobile epi episodes that, that you were going to take this and, and use this as a way to sort of leverage yourself and, and push yourself further. So how soon in the process where you were releasing these mobisodes, how soon before you began pitching the networks and saying like, look, this is the quality of what I can do for you? Well, uh, it, 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 started, it started pretty soon after. I would say after we won that Wave Award, which was like a few months into the launch of our, of our mobile series, uh, we contacted an entertainment lawyer, friend of ours uh, in, in L.A., and then he set up a bunch of meetings with, with agencies. Uh, we ended up getting hip-pocketed by Endeavor uh, back in the day, uh, but the climate wasn't ready yet. The TV climate wasn't ready yet for for uh, Bitch and Kitchen for the reasons I mentioned earlier. Um, and then while we were, you know, being pitched in L.A. and seeing that we weren't getting much response and people were saying, well, do you want to do a reality show? This company in Canada, this production company in Canada called Tricon, gave us a call and said, man, we heard about you and there's a big buzz. And, you know, we have a good relationship with Food Network Canada. We've produced hit shows for them. Um, can you, you know, can you please uh, let us pitch you? We're going to meet with Food Network Canada. And we were like, oh, I don't know, you know. So we asked Endeavor if they thought it was okay. Uh, which is now Endeavor William Morris, and they were like, yeah, sure, Canada who? <laughs> and so we were like, all right then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pitch in Canada, and lo and behold, they, they made it happen. Mm. You know, they, they really made it happen. 
So in your infancy stage, you know, was it sort of your attitude of we're going to we're going to grow this thing to be so big that that whoever's who in, in, in TV, they're going to have to sort of they're going to take notice of, of what we're doing. Was was that part of your sort of attitude and part of your strategy? Oh, absolutely, man. You know, like just bullish. It's you, you just you, you you just one track minded, mm-hmm. and yes, I you just I said to myself, this is you know we're going to build the community and uh, you know just get the, a real proof of concept and just keep going at it until people kind of have to say yes because a you're not going away and b you're not going away. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the line with Nadia G, host of the Cooking Channel's Bitching Kitchen. We've mentioned this in this interview, and we've seen it elsewhere, where you know you've put in countless hours every day. You know, long days, ten-hour days, twelve-hour days, fifteen-hour days. How often did you doubt that that you would be in the, where you are now? There were a few moments. There's always, you know, there's always uh, a few moments where you totally say to yourself, man, what what am I doing here? What's going on? But ultimately, deep inside, I always knew that this was going to happen. Um, you know, and, and, and frankly, if, if you don't have that 99% of the time, you're sure that it's going to happen for you, um, it, it's tough to make it happen, honestly, because at times you've got nothing but sheer will, mm-hmm. the, the sheer, you know, to force something into existence. Uh, and, you know, I always had, you know, uh, people that, that helped encourage me along the way. It's so it's so important when things are bad. Like I'll give you an example in a crappy studio with a cardboard dressing room with no air conditioning, in four inch heels, sniffing soup and saying, mm, "It smells so good." Take fifty two. You know, it's like sixty degrees in the studio. Mm-hmm. There's times like that. You know, where you're like, "Wow, what the hell's going on here?" But um, but no matter how down I got, like I said, 99% of the time I visualized this happening. I knew this was going to happen, and I was going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it goes. Where does that where does that self assurance come from? You know, I think it it comes ultimately from from my parents. You know, I, I was an only child. They always gave me a ton of attention. Um, you know, I, they, they allowed my creativity to bloom as a kid. Uh, the teenage years was a different story, as I mentioned before. But, you know, the early years are the important years. And, um, and uh, my, my family was always kind of treating me like a rock star. Hmm, interesting. And so you're picked up by Food Network Canada. How did they contact you? And when they did, what kind of emotions were running through you? And what were you thinking? Were you scared? Were you happy? Wow, man, I'll tell you, you know, that story of Food Network Canada was really something... We had gotten word uh, from from Tricon that that they wanted to move ahead with the show, uh, but you know nothing was signed on paper yet. You know it, it takes forever to get contracts actually signed. You know, in fact, you can have an, a show on the air for six episodes before a contract is signed. Wow. Uh, so it was taking a long time to finally get everything finalized. And then what happened was this, was that we, we knew they were interested in a show. And then doesn't freaking CanWest, which is the company that owns Food Network Canada and Global TV and like every single, practically every single TV station in Canada, aren't they going bankrupt? Yeah. 
So I'm saying to myself, what the hell? Finally, I get my TV series, and mm. the whole freaking what luck is that? Yeah. The TV, you know, that that the whole industry is is going bankrupt. So we were freaking out, and we were running out of money because we were basically living off a Canadian grant uh, telefilm for our web our web series and website, etc. And that money was starting to you know come to come to an end, and we had to let so many people go and say listen you know that the the show is still not happening yet and you know the whole world is crumbling and so me and josh my partner were sitting there we're super depressed working late at night and it's about midnight and we get a call from one of the guys that was was working with us saying yeah josh so uh, what's up and josh was like what what do you mean, what's up? It's midnight, I don't know, we're working, <laughs> nothing's up. What are you trying to say? He's like, yeah, well, uh, I saw in Playback magazine that Bitchin' Kitchen got picked up on Food Network Canada. Oh. And we're like, what? Wow. <laughs> so we essentially found out, you know, after everybody else. And we were so happy. I mean, you know, crying and screaming for joy. And, you know, I mean, it's really emotional, uh, this business, uh, as you both know, and probably a lot of people listening in, like this is your life, man. It's not, it's not a career. It's not a hobby. This is you. This is it. When your project suffers, you suffer. It's your child. So I mean, we were, we were, we're like our baby got into Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what? What was different, Nadia? You know about. Um, you know, when, when you're sort of up and running on the on the Food Network Canada, what what was different about being in that space as opposed to when, when you were launching these webisodes? What what were the tangible factors um, that that I guess that that network you know Food Network Canada wanted to be a part of? What, what did you have then? Well, you know, it, it was great because we you know we had uh, a bigger budget. Uh, so we were able to, you know, flex our creative muscles a little bit more. As I mentioned earlier, you know, um, we we were able to shoot like, uh, you know, take rehab recipes to the next level and, and insert a music video in there. Because with the web clips, you only have three to five minutes. So it's like, you mm -hmm. know, you got to pick what you're going to show. You can't exactly devote the whole thing to a music video. So we were super excited. It was also kind of scary. I mean, that, you know, that, that first time when your show launches and you start here, you know, like people start talking smack about you. Mm. Oh man, like now I'm used to it. Whatever. It rolls off my back. I find out the person's IP address and one day we'll talk. <laughs> but, <laughs> but back then, man, it was, you know, you, you get, it, it hits you hard, sure. you know, like, uh, so I mean, that was what was great was that we had a bigger budget, but we also had you know bigger pressure. Like you really wanted, you wanted to be great, and this this is your chance now, you know. Because the thing with this business, as we all know, it's like it's it's all really nice uh, when you finally get uh, green your show greenlit. But then your show's gotta not get canceled, <laughs> you right. know. Then you gotta do numbers. You gotta you know you gotta get renewed for a second season. So the 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 pressure the pressure continues. Before the TV deal, did you have any sponsorship deals worked out, like with cookware companies, um, knife outlets, what have you? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, it was uh, it was all product only sponsorship, and I mean, it was amazing. Uh, you know, the kind of sponsorship and how amenable people were. Like Elmira Stove Works, which uh, which creates those gorgeous vintage looking uh, fridge stove uh, appliances, etc. Man, they sponsored us from day one. Wow. Even uh, even when it was just even when it was just a, a web series, and like you're talking about, you know, ten thousand dollars worth of appliances. Uh, so yeah, we did have uh, sponsorship our knives as well. We still use, and we still stick to these people to this day. Mm -hmm. To this day, there's Elmira Stove Works on our set. There's Kasumi knives uh, that that I always use, um, and uh, you know Demayer cookware, etc. So a lot of these these sponsors that were there from the beginning, we definitely take along for the ride. Mm -hmm. How early in the game were you engaged in social media? I mean, you're on YouTube, of course, um, but I mean, you have this huge Facebook and Twitter following. How early did that come into play? Oh, right from the beginning. You know, I, I'm 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 net gen to the Intel core, and the minute mm -hmm. social media uh, came to the fore, uh, I was there. And there's nothing more important than community uh, online. Uh, you know, it it it's really the reason. You know, the, one of the main reasons we have a show is that there's there's so many people out there that are engaged with this brand, and we you know we love in, engaging them and and talking to them as real people. I mean, I I I really owe it owe it all to our community. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to follow up on, Nadia. So, would you say that you know, sort of your your presence? on these in, in social media on these platforms i mean th did that have a direct impact or direct influence in in sort of Absolutely. helping you it, def it definitely did there's no question about it no question about it a huge, huge i mean you, you you need to engage your audience and it, it really is that 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 proof of concept it's like when you know a network looks at that stuff and says wow there's really a segment of the population that's truly into this stuff and that's what they need to know they you know they, you know you can't i I, I don't think it's really possible to get a show uh, on TV without a social media following. Uh, you know, unless you're an A-lister or a B-lister, <laughs> you know, you can't exactly go up to the network and say, hey, you know, I have this great concept. They need proof. And, and, and what is it, what, what proof do they need? What, what are they looking for? Well, I think they're looking for a sizable audience. They're looking for an engagement. You know uh, how how people are how people are commenting on your brand or you know the interaction. You know because it's one thing to have you know let's say a thousand fans, but none of them are really doing anything on your Facebook page, and it's and it's uh, stagnant. You know you have to kind of keep the conversation going and and show that there's. You know that there's a, a real back and forth and an active interest in in the brand or project. And, and are, are you still on social media yourself, or are, are do you sort of delegate that to someone in your crew or on your team? I mean, do you, do you still take? Do you still partake? Do you still interact oh, directly yeah. with your fans? Absolutely, yeah, I totally partake. And uh, but I do have a crew that that entertains our community every day. But I check in every day. Okay. You know, multiple times a day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and and how how are you able to balance that with sort of with other people doing it and then you doing it? How do how do how does one know that it is this this is actually Nadia G that I'm talking to? Oh, great question. We have uh, we use our initials, 
So on Facebook, uh, you know, if it's my community manager, Ange, it'll be written AP, colon, and then the comment, the post, whatnot. And when it's me, it's NG, colon. And when it's Ella and so forth, you know, we use the, uh, the first letter of the first name, last name. Okay. All right. So that they, you know everyone has that information, okay, cool. and 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 also out of curiosity, if let's say Food Network Canada did not pick up your show, you know, would you have been able to keep doing what you were doing, um, or did you sort did you need TV to sort of come in and partner with you, you know, for you really to make all this happen? Would you would you have been able to do it without the support of, of, of what you have now? Well, we would have definitely continued and we would have said, you know what, we're going to pitch again, you know. Uh, but luckily, one thing that helps a lot being in Canada is they have a lot of funding for the arts. And uh, we were lucky enough to get, you know, a grant, you know, and we're talking big grants here in Canada. It's not like uh, 50 bucks and a cup of coffee. We're talking about like a quarter of a million dollars, half a million dollars. In some cases, you can apply for grants of a million dollars. So it's not, you know, it's not guaranteed that you're going to get those grants, but at least they're available to you, you know, to keep the project alive. I mean, if we would have not gotten that grant from Telefilm while we were waiting for the TV show to come through, then we would have really been finished. Mm -hmm. And you have this great segment called um, Get Famous Frittata which is this yeah. like two-part video and it's funny but it's also very very true I mean it talks about if you want to you know make a name for yourself these are the things you have to do and one of the things is you know growing incredibly thick skin you also say take 10 to 15 hours a day to work at your craft for five to ten years to make it happen very true so going back to the beginning is this how you were sort of managing both worlds with these grants because I mean it must be very hard to p- sort of pay the bills and then also be at your computer this entire time absolutely yeah it was definitely you know the the grants and and getting some um, you know I, I designed websites and did a lot of strategy and branding for other brands as well so that helped uh, to pay the bills and costs of being in this business uh, but yeah the grants were definitely a huge part Right. And how did you learn this website design and, and why did you have this as part of your set of skills? Yeah, well, you know, it's such an important skill set to have, you know, uh, the website design, branding, marketing, all really, really necessary tools. What happened was that when I had, you know, the idea to uh, do some online entertainment, I would contract that stuff out. And I never really liked what they returned to me. It was super, it cost me a fortune. It looked like crap. You know, I'm an A-type personality. I want, you know, I notice if something is one pixel off. So I'm like, screw this, man. I'm just going to teach myself. And what's so awesome about the web is that you have all these tutorials available to you. You can really do anything uh, online. And and you say you designed your current website? That's right. I I designed the the current website. Um, I design a lot of, I still to this day, all the rock this look that we do where we feature all the the, the fashion that I wear in a particular episode and where to get it or where to get something like it. I love designing. Um, It's really a peaceful place for me. You know, and it allows me to be like super anal and just focus and get get everything in line perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, you know, we we have brought up a, f- a few couple times here the bitchin' kitchen cookbook, rock your kitchen and let the boys clean up the mess. Um, and and you wrote this book while your show was still sort of in the mobile internet form. Um, so so how important was was it for you to have something tangible? You know, and and, and I must add, you know, everything we see from you is also high quality. Yeah. So how important was it to have something tangible and high quality? Um, that was related to your show and, and it's something that your fans could own it was it was a beautiful thing you know and that was one of those lucky stories that you know the the publisher just came to us they saw our web clips and our mobisodes and said wow that's a great concept we want to do a cookbook uh, i would say 99 percent of the time that's not what happened we we're like all right well that that sounds great you know i designed the cookbook myself as well um so that was a really interesting challenge uh, because prior to that i was doing all my design work in 72 dpi which is basically web it's a whole different world uh when you you get into you know high res imagery and the photo shoots it was a real challenge um you know but also really beautiful in in a lot of ways because you know the book you can touch it it's not vapor it's not pixels it also helped my family better understand what the hell i was doing because my family was like well what are you doing you're making stupid videos on the internet they don't you know they didn't get it they're not they, they weren't online so mm-hmm. for them the cookbook was a real opportunity to touch something it's, ah this is what natty is doing and i'm sure too nadia with where you are now people have this perception like you know what being on tv having a book and a huge fan base is like living a party lifestyle you know we see these videos of you at these various food events and and it just looks so fun but how much of this how much of that perception is really true that it is a party lifestyle and how much of it is you maybe by yourself creating content and a lot of hard work is it as sort of glamorous as it looks you know, I'm still waiting for the big glamorous part. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm kidding, partially. Um, but yeah, a lot of it. I would say a lot of it is still me, just sitting in front of my computer. You know, getting the work done, thinking about the next contest online. You know, uh, d- designing stuff. You know, thinking about you know writing scripts. Um, and then you know, at the, on occasion, you get the opportunities to really feel um, the rewards. Which I mean, like, let's feel it you know uh, I'm gonna be honest with you I'm in this business because I wanted to get famous you know uh, I, I want a limo to come and pick me up I want to get kicked out of uh, the VIP room or something you know mm-hmm. <laughs> these are all things I want um, but uh, but yeah I would say it's it's um, when you finally have a moment to breathe from all the hard work and you step back and and look at this little empire that you've created or this you, you you can really say wow you know this is this is awesome and you 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 feel you feel the reward but a lot of the time when you're in the thick of it you know you're you're still you're just working you're you're working your ass off sure and you had talked about earlier this new kind of pressure like in the beginning it's a pressure to launch things and then once you get things going there's a new pressure to keep it going so do you feel competition from other cooking personalities or or people that are out there does that does that ever fuel you to kind of keep going that competition I'm a very competitive person that's for sure but what's what's so fun about about the bitch and brand is that we're so unique and it's like there is no competition. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's very unique and, and, and very catchy. I love it. What are some of the misconceptions people have 
about being famous or recognized. You know, you mentioned earlier that there can be detractors, but what are some of the, the, the biggest misconceptions? Well, the biggest misconception, and it comes back to what you mentioned earlier about sexism, is that, you know, some, some people out there imagine that I'm like some kind of hostess that got hired by the network and got offered some kind of, you know, no, man, you know, I worked my ass off, I write the scripts, I co-produce this series. Um, so I would say that's one of the biggest ones, and, and not just for me, but for a lot of people uh, who have made it in the entertainment industry, that somehow they were just so lucky and it just got handed to them on a silver platter. I would say in some cases, sure, there's nepotism in the industry, but most of the time people work pretty damn hard for what they got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And it sounds like you've just done an amazing thing. I mean, you learned the web design and all of that, and you just weren't just going to just go the traditional route and, and pass out headshots. Do you ever go back home? And if so, what do they say now? Go back home? Yeah, to, to, to see some of the people that you went to high school with, and, and how do they perceive you now? Ah, you know, I don't really see much of the people I went to high school with uh, mm -hmm. anymore. One of my, uh, my group, I only have one friend that I retained uh, from high school, Mary Martinelli. And uh, <laughs> she, she does all, she chooses all the music uh, for our episodes, which is really cool. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not really friendly with, uh, with the people I went to high school with that much. Uh, you know, they, di they didn't really accept me then. Right. And uh, to this day, it's kind of like, you know, we're just very different people. There are a few, obviously, that will come to the launch parties and so on. But besides that, uh, it can suck it. Right, right. Yeah, I remember Dave, I think, told me this great story about Howard Stern. You always tell me that story, how the, mm -hmm. the one bully of Howard Stern guess came back to him years later and Howard was just like what you weren't my friend then yeah when I really needed you yeah you so know. so why now yeah no exactly <laughs> you know what man success is the best revenge you know uh, it, it really you know and that's one of the things that I joke about in uh, the, the Get Famous Frittata uh, web clip or we even redid that show um, uh, for, for the, the TV show is, uh, is you know is, uh, oh, wow, I forgot my line of thinking. I got all excited about thinking about Get Famous Frittata and Frittatas. But, uh, yeah, it's basically, you know, revenge is a dish best served on television. Right, right. I remember that part. And just as we wrap up here, Nadia, I noticed that you just give these flawless interviews. Was that always the case? Did you kind of have to practice at doing that and you just got more comfortable? Or it was just always something you're just comfortable speaking, delivering your message? How did you kind of manage to make that happen because you just do such a flawless delivery of all of the interviews that I've seen oh well thank you you know I mean I judge myself hard on the on the interviews I give I think a lot of people are like oh I don't want to see it I don't want to hear it um but yeah I guess you know the more you talk about something the better you get at talking about it uh, is really what it comes down to and, and I really enjoy it you know and I, I enjoy a lot I really enjoy the interviews that I'm doing now because people are kind of familiarized with the brand so it's not so much about you know just talking about the 
basically introducing what my show is, I'm able to get into the nitty-gritty of things that really interest me. Like, for example, this interview has been fantastic. And, you know, I've also had the opportunity to, to, to talk at, you know, South by Southwest and wow. to do panels that are more industry-related. So I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, this, this next chapter, if you will. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you. Yes. We've enjoyed our time with you today. And, uh, Absolutely. You know, it, it's, it's been great just sitting back and just listening to how, how you combine your craft, your yeah. love for, for cooking, and, and how you, you intermesh, inter, intermesh that with sort of your web skills, your creative skills, your design skills, um, business, branding, just everything across the board. I mean, you're, you're just the, the full really package amazing. from start to finish, Nadia. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, you know, and I just hope it inspires people, people out there, too. And and honestly, where there's a web, there's a way. Nice. So, you know, grant, no grant, you know, like I said, you, if you don't have the money, you invest the time. And, you know, I really believe that if you, if you keep your eye on the prize and are willing to put in the hard work that goes with it, you'll get what you want. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you. We've been speaking with TV chef and comedian Nadia G. For more on Nadia, please visit her site, bitchinlifestyle.tv, on Twitter at bitchinkitchen, uh, facebook.com slash bitchinkitchen, and also on YouTube at bitchinkitchenonline. Thank you again, Nadia. Thank you. You rock. appreciate it. You thank rock. You. Awesome. All right. Wow. That, that's, that was, that was terrific. Um, and then we're going to thank all of you for joining us yes. on yet another edition of Film Courage.